You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning, and thank you for being with us in worship. We're continuing our study uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, titled The Real Jesus. A number of years ago, a Gallup poll was taken all across America. Thousands of people were asked this question, what is the all-time best hymn? And so if Gallup called you, how would you respond? And of course, there were many hymns that were uh, contributed, but the all-time best hymn, according to a Gallup poll, was written over 200 years ago by a former slave trader named John Newton. You may be familiar, the title, Amazing Grace. And the question I had asked myself is, how could a hymn so dated, so old, become the anthem of the ages and inspire millions? I find it remarkable. You go to Amazon.com, you type in Amazing Grace, the hymn, here's what's going to happen. You'll come up with 3,823 different recordings and renditions of that hymn. The most popular artists over the past hundred years have remade that hymn in all genres. Amazing. And so I have the privilege this morning to speak to you on one of the most important teachings in Scripture, grace, God's grace. It's truly amazing. Now, before we dive into a beautiful passage, literally one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible, Luke 15, I want to give you a picture of grace from the Old and New Testament. It starts out in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. And the sad thing is this is a dark time in uh, the history of people, civilization, that their intentions, their thoughts were so sinful. And yet the Bible says this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so when you think of grace, think of God's favor, unmerited favor in your life. And then we turn to Exodus chapter 34. I love this. There's a dialogue between God and Moses, and God reveals himself to Moses as a God of compassion and a God of grace. He tells uh, Moses that if you want to know who I am at my core, I'm a compassionate God, I'm a gracious God. And then you jump to the New Testament. Chapter 1 in the Gospel of John, how beautiful. Uh, John, a dear friend of Jesus, says this, we beheld his glory, Christ's glory. Glory is the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think about it, folks. John described Jesus in two beautiful terms, in his graciousness and his truthfulness. Now, I have a question for you this morning. When you mess up in life, when you screw up, when you uh, fall short, when you sin, fall short of God's glory and hurt others, family members, loved ones, friends, neighbors, co-workers, your boss, your employer, how do you want to be treated? Have you ever thought about that? Well, basically in life, there's three possible ways. The first way is to be treated justly. And here's what justice is. Justice is getting what you deserve. Now, we've had a few days of rain in, uh, uh, you know, the Des Moines area, and we're so thankful, but for the past many weeks, there has been a drought. 
And I live in Adel, and one of the things the city of Adel did was put a ban on the use of water for non-purposeful reasons, like kiddie pools and washing your vehicles and especially watering your lawn. So here's the deal. My wife and I walk the neighborhood regularly, and we still see people using their sprinkler systems. There's plush green lawns, but there's many others who are abiding by the ban, and their lawns look like deserts. And so in conversation with some of our neighbors, guess what? They want justice. (laughs) Because the first thing Adele will do is warn you. The second thing is fine you up to $500. And then maybe the third time up to $1,000. Some people want justice. Why? Hey, if we don't water, you can't water. And if you're watering, you should pay for it. That's justice. It's getting what you deserve. Now, we could also be treated through mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy simply said, we are not getting what we deserve. Mercy is a gift. It truly is. Our son Jacob, one of our twins, we were with him a couple weeks ago. He gets a text from his girlfriend. And his girlfriend says, Jake just got pulled over for speeding. She was in northern uh, Minnesota. And she was going 72 and a 45. That's 27 miles. And we're just feeling so bad. And then a little bit later, she texts. She says, Jake, guess what? The police officer treated me kindly with mercy. He gave me a warning, no ticket. That's mercy. It's not giving what you deserve. Now, grace is over the top. Grace is exceptional. It's lavish. It's extraordinary. And grace is basically getting what we don't deserve. And that's a gift, folks. Now, the reason we have a hard time understanding grace is this. We rarely experience it in human relationships. But you know what? In the Bible, God is called the God of all grace in 1 Peter chapter 5. He lavishes us. He gives us what we don't deserve, and that is a blessing. One individual defined grace like this. It's my favorite definition. Grace is God's free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. That's what happened in the time of Noah. And when Jesus came, full of grace, full of truth, And so this morning, I have the privilege to share with you a story from Scripture, a story about God the Father's amazing grace. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And before we dive into the specifics of that passage, I want to paint a big picture. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And literally, there's three parables in chapter 15, verses 1 through 32, but I'm going to focus more specifically on uh, the prodigal son. And so picture this, a father has two sons, an older and younger. The younger son comes to him and says, Dad, listen, I'm done here. I got to go out and party. There's better days ahead. Dad, I'm dead to you. I'm leaving. And here's the deal, Father. Can I have my inheritance? And so what does the father do? The father's heart is broken, of course. And yet he gives the son what he wants. And the son goes off and parties hard, riotous living, wine, women, and song. But guess what? Sin is pleasurable but for a season. And he runs out of resources. His friends abandon him. And as a Jewish boy, 
Guess where he finds himself? In a pig pen, eating what pigs eat, carobs. And what a, a despicable situation. And finally, he comes to his senses. He says, you know what? My father's servants have it better than me. I'm just going to go home and serve dad, pay back. And so he's on his way home. And we now get a picture of God's grace in Scripture. And so from the parable of the prodigal son, I want to share with you three truths that are just remarkable about God's grace. And the first truth is this. Truth number one, God's grace pursues. Friends, that is a remarkable statement. If you have your Bibles open to Luke 15, 20, please turn there and just examine what the Father does. We read, but while the son was still a long way off, right? He's coming home to be a servant. He's coming home to work. He's coming home to pay back. His father saw him. His father's heart was filled with compassion. The father ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed his son. Now, friends, there's some things here 2,000 years ago in the Eastern biblical culture that we need to understand. Number one, senior men do not run. They walk with dignity. Why? The elders are always honored in the community. They don't run. But the question we have to ask in this passage is, why did he run? Well, it's very clear from the ancient culture. The older son had an obligation and a responsibility. And the obligation was this, to confront his brother, his younger brother, to cause him to recognize his failure as a son and his sin, to guilt him and shame him, and yes, to uh, bring him back into the community, but as a servant to pay his father back and rebuild the estate. But you know what dad does? Dad wants none of that. No, the older brother is not going to confront. He's not going to guilt and shame. So the father runs. And what do we see him do? Hugging, kissing, welcoming his son back home. And I want to encourage you this morning. That is the narrative of Scripture. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sins. What happens? God pursues them. They're running, hiding, they're fearful, they're guilted, they're shamed. And the God comes in the middle of the garden, Adam and Eve, where are you? I love you. I care for you. We've been studying the Gospel of Luke for some time now. And haven't we seen the beautiful thing that Jesus pursues? He pursues the marginalized, the outcast, the lepers of this world, women of the street. He pursues what's known as the tax collectors who were so hated. In fact, he was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, it begs a question this morning, why does God pursue us? And the simple answer is this, he pursues us for love. Jeremiah says, God speaks through the prophet, I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love. Jesus, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. I always love putting my name there. For God so loved Keith Missile. How personal. You know, I pursued my wife for seven years, and uh, I'm glad I did. But why did I pursue her? Because of love. And when you think of our Heavenly Father running to us, pursuing us, whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden, whether it's Jesus with a leper, or tax collectors and sinners, or having meals with sinful people, 
It's because he loves us. He pursues us. The second truth we see in this passage is that God's grace pardons. Look at Luke 15, verse 22. Here's what we see. But the father told his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now remember, the son is coming back as a servant. He wants to work. He wants to perform. He wants to pay dad back. He wants to earn the right. Dad says, none of that. Forget about performing. Forget about working. And so we have some pictures here in verse 22. Three gifts to the wayward son. Gift number one, sandals for his feet. Only sons wore sandals. The servants wore bare feet. We know that from ancient literature. And then the ring, give him the ring. You know what the ring is? It's called the signet ring in the ancient world where you would dip it in a colored wax. You would seal documents. You would make purchases. And it was the legal device. It's kind of like a credit card today. And so dad's saying, son, I trust you. Come home. I'm giving you responsibility. But the -the over-the-top thing here is the robe of honor. Think it through, folks. The younger son defamed his father. And in a culture of honor and shame, this was the worst thing a son could do to a father. The whole community knew it. But what does dad do? He forgets about that. And he honors his son with a robe, a robe of honor. Come home, son. And friends, this is a picture of God's lavish forgiveness, extraordinary grace. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. That's why Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, say these remarkable words. Let me share that with you. Paul wrote, We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And I love how it translates here. As he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Isn't that amazing? God lavishes his grace. He forgives all our sin, past, present, and future. Now, some of you struggle to embrace God's forgiveness. Sometimes we can't even forgive ourselves for the things we've done. But while hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. When you go back to the Old Testament, there are so many remarkable pictures of God's forgiveness. And Psalm 103 says, I cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. He says, I put your sins behind my back. I remember them no more. He intentionally chooses to forget our sin. And my favorite, all-time favorite, he takes our sin, casts them into the depths of the sea. The depths of the sea are way deeper than Everest is high, 29,000 feet from Mount Everest. Depths of the sea are about 45,000 feet deep. He takes our sins and he buries them. That is a beautiful picture. And so may I ask, how does it feel this morning to know that God the Father, through his extraordinary, lavish grace, forgives all our sin past, present, and future? That's remarkable. That's why grace is absolutely amazing. And so may I ask, have you experienced this pardon? Have you embraced his lavish grace, being forgiven past, present, and future sins? 
I'll never forget the day where I felt the weight of sin lifted through the grace of God and Jesus Christ. What a blessing that was. And so the final truth, number one, God, truth number one, he pursues us. The second thing is he pardons us. And the third one, you're going to love this, (laughs) God's grace parties. God's grace parties. Now, here's the thing, folks. As I said, Luke 15, 1 through 32 is one parable with three narratives. Let me share those as we close out with this idea of partying. And so grace must be celebrated. We're going to see that in Luke 15. And so the first parable is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One goes astray. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 in the fold, and he pursues with great passion the one lost sheep. In the ancient world, that could be a risky thing. The sheep could have drifted for miles. It could have taken hours. And then the wounded sheep, the the shepherd puts them around the neck, carries them back. That's a burdensome task. Why? He does it out of love. He does it out of care. But I want you to see something in Luke 15. When the shepherd retrieves the sheep, here's what Jesus teaches, verses 6 and 7. He says, the shepherd rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Friends, that is remarkable. That's over the top. Heaven and earth join together in joy when a lost sheep comes home. The next parable there is a woman who has a precious coin, piece of jewelry. She loses it. She searches frantically. The homes in the ancient world were carved stone. They weren't cement like ours. They could have lost something, got stuck in a crack, in in mud. It was a daunting task, but she finds the precious coin or piece of jewelry. And look what happens in verses 9 through 10. When she finds it, She calls her women friends and neighbors together saying, notice the phrase, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. And then Jesus says, again, I tell you, in the same way, there will be joy, notice this next phrase, in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now, angels are joining in the celebrations. Angels are experiencing joy when people repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. And then this final beautiful kicker. Here's the younger son coming home. What does dad do? Think about the ancient world. The ancient world was big on meals, and they're called peace meals. They're called meals of reconciliation. Dad throws a lavish feast with a fattened calf. Join with me. Look at verses 23 and 24. Father says, bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Why? Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And here's the beautiful thing. So they began to celebrate. Folks, don't miss it. One parable, three pictures, sheep, coin, son. And there's partying, there's celebration, there's joy. Why? Because the mission of Jesus is to seek and to save lost people, to seek and to save you and me. Seeking means he pursues. Lost means he comes after us. Then he finds us with the goal of parting our sin through his precious blood. 
And so it begs a question today. Have you experienced the lavish, extraordinary grace of God through Jesus Christ? This morning, I want to close, and I want to give you a visual illustration that I hope helps you capture the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so Ellen's going to assist me, and I'm just going to step over here, and we just have a nice visual illustration. And so let's start out with, in your mind's eye, if you will, think about your life at birth, what that might have looked like. Now, Ellen has a cloth, a handkerchief. Take that cloth and put it in your mind's eye. That's what your life was like when you were born. And it's a picture of a clean slate. It's a picture of innocence. But friends, according to Scripture, that clean slate doesn't last long. Why? The Bible says we all have a sin nature and we will sin. Ask any parent today, did they ever have to teach their child to sin? It's rhetorical. We don't have to. Why? We have a sin nature. We will sin. And so the question I asked is, on a good day, what might it look like on a good day for the average person? How many sins do you think they may commit? Well, how about three or four? One wrong thought. And Ellen has some iodine here, and the iodine's going to represent sin. And in some iodine bottles, you're going to see like a skull and bones. Sin brings death, Romans 6.23. But just imagine on a good day, one wrong thought staining our life. One wrong action. One improper speech. And then you add our motives, which are often always kind of mixed. And then, folks, okay, that might be just one day, but now 365 days in a year, that's a lot of sins. Add the average lifespan, 75 to 80 years, and guess what happens? Our innocent, clean slate doesn't look too good. Let's take a look. Not very pretty, right? And here's what I've learned over time and certainly was my experience growing up. I thought somehow I could do good works to, you know, kind of erase some of the mess, some of the stains. And I thought if the good outweighed the bad, that somehow God will accept me. Every world religion declares that you need to perform, you need to do, you need to make the grade, and they work to clean up their life. But here's a picture of what happens when we try to clean up our life through good works. Friends, it doesn't work so well. You know, the prophet Isaiah said, all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. And so if we can't clean up our life through good works, if we can't take the stain away, there must be another way. And there is. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That's what God's grace is all about. And so God sends his son, Jesus Christ, not only to live, to love, to teach, to heal, to bless, but ultimately to die. And while hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, that you and I can have forgiveness, what? Through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood so we could be forgiven so we could be made clean in God's eyes. Again, the prophet Isaiah says, though our sin be as scarlet, folks, listen to this, they can be made white as snow. 
It doesn't get any better than that. What a gift. That's why grace is so exceptional. Now, you may be wondering this morning, what about good works? Where does that play into the Christian life? Well, it does, but it all starts with grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 say it all. And it basically describes what it means to know God through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not of ourselves, not of our works. Why? So we don't boast. But then it says this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God foreordained that we would walk in them. Think about it, folks. When we experience pardon, when we experience forgiveness, when Christ comes into our life by his spirit, gives us a new heart, gives us a new slate, then we can live in a manner worthy of the gospel and our works flow out of a life of faith. And then guess what happens? Our works become pleasing to God. They become a fragrant offering to the Lord. They become purified and a testimony to God's goodness and glory in our life and a ministry to others. And so let me ask you this morning, have you experienced the lavish grace of God? Has he pursued you? Have you responded to his lavish love? Have you experienced forgiveness past, present, and future? Are you celebrating with heaven and earth the grace of God in your life? 41 years ago, I heard a message very similar to this. And boy, I needed forgiveness. I knew that. I was a sinner. That was pretty easy. And so that day, I turned from my sin. I put my faith and trust in Christ. And one of the things I did to demonstrate genuine faith in my heart is I called upon the name of the Lord, which scripture encourages, and I was saved. The backpack of sin was lifted, and I was set free. And if you're watching this morning and you've not yet put your faith and trust in Christ, experience forgiveness of sin and that freedom in Christ and celebrated his grace, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so if you would, if you'd like to trust Christ today, receive forgiveness, put your faith in him. Let's bow together in prayer. I'll lead you in prayer. You can repeat this prayer in your heart to the Lord and put your faith and trust in him. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your lavish love through Jesus Christ. And I, like the prodigal son, confess I'm a sinner. And I'm I'm coming home, Lord. And I thank you today for pursuing me. I thank you through Jesus you can pardon me. And Father, I put my faith and trust in Christ. And so thank you for forgiving all my sins, past, present, and future. Help me, Father, to live in the joy of what it means to be in Christ from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.